Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Thank you for joining us today and welcome. This is an hour dedicated to understanding a little more about ourselves, our beliefs, and how we approach enlightenment. Indeed, an hour devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but what and why we think as we do. An hour for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those ideas behind who we have become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, now every week I read some of your letters as our way of recognizing the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our show was all about Elaine Smith's work, Screwing Mother Nature for Profit. Mark wrote, on the show yesterday I thought you had some good pointed questions for Elaine Smith. I agree with her concern about the predatory practices of many big corporations which focus primarily on profit over the well-being of people and the environment. However, she takes a dyed-in-the-wool progressive view and didn't seem to be open to the ideas you presented. If we are to solve our problems, we need to get off our ideological soapboxes and look for practical and realistic solutions, which will both work towards solving our problems while maintaining our individual freedoms. Well, that's well said in my view, Mark. Thanks for the note. Joe commented, sounds like this guest is angry about something, so she's taking it out on corporate America. Eldon had a show that discussed the law of attraction. Wonder what the guest speaker would say about this topic. Excellent point, Joe. Sharon remarked, it's all right to point out the problems, but viable solutions need to be there also. Bella added, too much us against them attitude. We are all in this together. Therefore, we are all responsible in some way. Amen to that, Bella. As I posted on my Facebook page last week, following many of the comments about the show, according to the 14th Dalai Lama, quote, when you think everything is someone else's fault, you will suffer a lot. When you realize that everything springs only from yourself, you will learn both peace and joy, close quote. Now, William wrote, another brilliant radio program featuring Elaine Smitha about natural resources. Really enjoyed it, as I do all of your shows. What Elaine and Eldon together said was so true. There is so much global corruption regarding the buying up of natural resources by totally unethical corporations. Well, now, William, don't forget governments. Uh, they're the chief offender. For most of the hoarding that's going on in the world today, and not just of the known natural resources, but of many of the yet untapped resources, it's actually taking place by governments, particularly China. I might add, and largely on the back of U.S. dollars, both borrowed from China and spent on Chinese goods. The larger our deficit, the more we owe China and the more money they will have to, say, pay Brazil, as they recently did, to develop oil for China. Moving on, Mary Jo wrote, Hi, Eldon. Thank you so much for making the CDs that I am buying from your company. I wanted to expand on what my experience has been with listening to my first Intertalk CD. The experience was profoundly religious, and I am no longer a religious person. My history is that I was a Catholic for 40 years. When my son was about eight years old, I decided that the guilt theme of the religion was too much for me, and I stopped going to church. I read about 50 spiritual books, and then I decided that I no longer needed to attend a church for any reason. But the vestiges of guilt must have remained. When I listened to the CD for the first two times, 
I cried nearly the whole CD playing time. My corresponding visual imagery was images of Jesus and other spirits that I love. Later, I read that you have incorporated your forgiveness work in all of the CDs. For this I am grateful. It seems to me that the forgiveness aspect of the CD has cleansed my spirit and allowed me a higher level of self-happiness. I am no newbie when it comes to meditation. I have listened daily to Centerpoint Research CDs, Holosync, for 12 years. I completed their program this year, and they sent a letter of encouragement to find other meditation CDs. Fortunately, I found yours. Also, I completed several CDs and books from Colin Tippings, working on forgiveness, and it seems to me that your single CD has much more impact. In closing, this is a fan letter, and I request, please continue your work, no matter how rich and famous you become. Well, thank you for your feedback, Mary Jo, and even if one day I do become rich and famous and can afford to send my son to Berkeley, which he so deservingly, uh, you know, uh, gained entrance, I will not give up my passion, nor will Ravinder, which is really helping people to help themselves. All right, Jane wrote, I love your CDs and have found them very effective. Now, that's pithy. Thanks, Jane. Alina wrote, I listen to your show as much as I can almost every week, and I have no say, and I have to say, you are just great. I really like when you have a guest how you become not only the interviewer, but also one of us. Many times you have asked questions I was thinking about. Edwina wrote, thank you for your new books, I believe, and what if. I'm a newcomer to your books, but an old soul who for the first time in my life and finding answers to many of the experiences I've had in my life, all having to do with the same subjects you are teaching about. With your help, many people will be able to tap into their souls and find the comfort and strength for their lives. I found myself when I was a student in behavioral science. It has changed my life, and I, in turn, have been working with others to help them find the road to inner peace and love for one another. As more of your books come to Barnes & Noble, I shall be waiting for them, and so will those who are now looking for answers to life. Well, thank you, Edwina. Your feedback is very meaningful to me. Let me remind all of you out there, if you have not obtained your copy of my newest, I Believe, When What You Believe Matters, then do so now while you can still take advantage of the hundreds of gifts that accompany the book. Plus, it's on sale at both Barnes and Amazon right now. For more details, go to my website, eldentaylor.com, and choose the banner at the top of the page with a special offer featuring a picture of the book. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today. But I do invite you to opine, and you can do that by sending your email to eldon at eldentaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. We can't get all of your letters on the air, but they do impact our programming. And despite what Ravinder says, they impact us just as much as her chat room. <laughs> and so once again, I thank you for your <laughs> feedback and continued support. Now to today's show, The Biology of Belief and Spontaneous Evolution. It's two different books. Our guest today is someone I have known for approximately 20 years. Indeed, we have joked with each other about being road warriors, just out there going house to house with our message. And sometimes it seems like that was just how it all got started. I'm speaking of my friend and fellow Hay House author, Dr. Bruce Lipton. I first read his book, The Biology of Belief, before it was published. Like many others, I had encouraged Bruce to write a book 
long before he finally set his ideas to paper. I told his then-publisher to count me in on a major market push for the book, and I believed so much in his message that we offered the book at cost to our entire customer base. We sold hundreds of books as a result, and Dr. Lipton has gone on to sell, oh, hundreds of thousands. I'm sure he really needs no introduction to our Hay House audience, but just in case you're new to his work, let me tell you something about him. Bruce Lipton, Ph.D., is a stem cell biologist, best-selling author, and recipient of the 2009 Goy Peace Award. He has been a guest speaker on hundreds of TV and radio shows, as well as a keynote presenter for national and international conferences. Dr. Lipton began his scientific career as a cell biologist. He received his Ph.D. from the University of Virginia at Charlottesville, before joining the Department of Anatomy at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine in 1973. Dr. Lipton's research on muscular dystrophy, studies employing cloned human stem cells, focused upon the molecular mechanisms controlling cell behavior. An experimental tissue transplantation transplantation technique, I'll get that said, developed by Dr. Lipton and colleague Dr. Ed Schultz, and published in the journal Science, was subsequently employed as a novel form of human genetic engineering. In 1982, Dr. Lipton began examining the principles of quantum physics and how they might be integrated into his understanding of the cell's information processing systems. He produced breakthrough studies on the cell membrane, which revealed that this outer layer of the cell was an organic homologue of a computer chip, the cell's equivalent of the brain. His research at Stanford University School of Medicine between 1987 and 1992 revealed that the environment operating through the membrane controlled the behavior and physiology of the cell, turning genes on and off. His discoveries, which ran counter to the established scientific view that life is controlled by the genes, presaged one of today's most important fields of study, the science of epigenetics. Two major scientific publications derived from these studies to find the molecular pathways connecting the mind and body. Many subsequent papers by other researchers have since validated his concepts and ideas. Dr. Lipton's novel, Scientific Approach, transformed his personal life as well. He writes that his deepened understanding of cell biology highlighted the mechanisms by which the mind controls bodily functions and implied the existence of an immortal spirit. He applied this science to his personal biology and discovered that his physical well-being improved and the quality and character of his daily life was greatly enhanced. All right, as Ed McMahon used to say when introducing Johnny Carson to the audience, but with a little twist, of course, here's Dr. Bruce Lipton, and welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, my friend. Hello, dear friend Eldon. Gosh, it's been years, as you mentioned, that we've been together. And uh, I so appreciate it because although we, we've walked on different paths, we've been carrying the same sign out there saying uh, how powerful we really are in spite of what we believe. How true, how true. Well, we haven't talked in a while, so what have you been up to? Well, I am in the process at this moment of uh, finishing a manuscript for a third book uh, based on the biology of belief. And the third book, the one I'm working on right now, might be of interest to your audience because it's entitled The Honeymoon Effect, The Science of Creating Heaven on Earth. And, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> An I, interesting I mean, topic. I, yeah, the title has me really, you know, uh, and, and I don't, I, 
When is it due to come? I guess I, tell me that, and then I'll know whether to explore it a little bit with you. Well, I, I'm hoping it's uh, in Hay House spring release this year. So, uh, Hay we're House, looking, looking forward to that. Spring of 2012. Yes. How wonderful! That's great. Uh, I'm going to have to have you back, and we'll talk about that. How about that? <laughs> well, it could, I mean, we could talk about it. <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit right now because I, I have a feeling that it encompasses what we would talk about. Uh, but it gives a bigger picture to it. So maybe if I describe what the title means, it might be of that. interest. Okay? Uh, the yeah, honeymoon do. effect. Well, what that's all about is when, uh, when I'm talking to an audience, I, I say, um, uh, we talk about how the biology of belief controls uh, not just our internal biology, our genetics, and our health, but it also influences uh, where we are in the world and what's going on in our particular personal world. So that it's uh, biology belief affects internally uh, the life inside the body and externally the life we experience in the world in which we live. So uh, inner and outer influence. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, I talk about mind controlling our, our belief in our lives, and a lot of people go, yeah, right, you know, I always have these good thoughts and I have uh, great beliefs, and yet... Uh, you know, my life isn't the greatest thing out there, and then how come, you know, you can say that belief controls life? And, and so I go, well, let's go back to a time in your life when you fell head over heels in love with somebody. I mean, the big one, you know, it's like, wow, this person just blew your mind. And I said, go back to that time period, and I asked about three questions of the audience. And uh, the first question is, go back to that time you fell head over heels in love, and I asked, were you healthy? And almost everybody uh, cries out, yes, exuberantly healthy. I was, it was great. And I go, did you have energy? And uh, uh, before they even answer, I go, come on, I know you, you probably made love for days without stopping for food or sleep. And they all laugh because they realize how much energy they had when they were in, in, in that love experience. And then I go, now, most importantly, was life so beautiful at that time that you couldn't wait for the next day? to have more of that. And everybody goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I say, well, that was tantamount to creating heaven on earth. I mean, you were so perfectly healthy and life was so beautiful, you couldn't wait to have more and more and more of it. And everybody, yeah, yeah. And I go, well, here's a fact. That was not an accident. That was not a coincidence. That was an actual creation. And so we actually created, there was a period in our lives where most of us can go back and say, look, there was a period where when this event happened, this honeymoon effect, I call it, um, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't an accident that you actually created this. And, and so you stop for a moment, you go, yes, for a moment <clears throat> I experienced what I created, which was heaven on earth. And I go, well, you know, since you created that, that was really critical, but perhaps you may want to find out what happened to it. Because while many of these great relationships start out with that fantastic love and energy and all that excitement, at some point, they seem to go into everyday life, and then it's just a relationship. That special heaven-on-earth thing sort of disappears for most people. And so all of a sudden, we come to this understanding. So wait, if I could give you an insight as to how you created it and give you an insight as to why you lost it, then think of the consequence. The consequence is then you could create that experience, not for a short period of time, but for an experience of your whole life, every day of your life, for as long as you can live on this planet. And that's 
the most exciting part because it says we did create this and 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 we can do it again. So I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. And of course, the devil's advocate, you know, in me says you wouldn't necessarily have to be in optimal health in order for no, you to no, realize. I, I mean, I, I mean, I think people. of Stephen W. Hawking, and yeah. um, you know, he had a passionate love affair given the limited nature of. Uh, you know, his mobility. I, I uh, agree totally. That, again, I, you know, because uh, uh, there's very important exceptions all the time. So I said most people. <laughs> and, and the right. fact is, but that, as you brought up, which is a very important point, Eldon, is that it does not necessitate that you express that full exuberance of health. Yes, it's really an energy of feeling as much or more so than it is an expression of uh, physical physicality isn't it well that feeling is is then by nature a chemistry in the body right and, right. and we call these feelings emotions and well conventional cognitive scientists like to keep out of the story of emotions uh emotions play uh one of the most fundamental roles in 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 guiding us and uh, uh through this life on this planet uh, so ignoring its relevance uh, in regard to what we create and, and, and the life experiences that we have, I, I think it's a grand mistake on the part of conventional cognitive scientists because I think it's almost primary uh, in guiding and driving our behavior. Totally concur with that, totally. All right, now, now listen, you, you write, uh, actually, and this, this, this is as much a personal question as it is for the audience. Yes. You write that understanding cell biology led you to, quote, imply an immortal spirit, close quote. How so? How so, Dr. <laughs> a, a really good question because uh, I have to admit that all the way up and through a, a certain point in 1985, uh, and so that's like 40 years of my life, uh, I was uh, mainly a spiritual. I didn't believe in that spiritual stuff. Matter of fact, that's essentially why uh, I gravitated towards science and and then started getting into biology and then bought into the conventional dogma of oh, genes control life and we're biochemical machines and we have this experience and then at some point it ends and then all the molecules go back into the earth and we start over again uh, from the building blocks with another person. So uh, yeah, I, I pretty much was in alignment with the nature of science that said, look, you don't have to bring a concept of a spirit or God into this thing. It's, it's these molecules in a Darwinian world, and there you go. So um, this was my mindset as I was getting into the work about uh, the new science. Uh, uh, the new science, very simply, uh, in, in one minute, the experiment is like profound and simple, is that I isolated one single stem cell my first big major experiment. And a stem cell is the equivalent of an embryonic cell. Uh, it has multi-potential, but you can't call it an embryonic cell because now a person is born. So uh, before you were born, this cell is called an embryonic cell. After you're born, the same cell is now called a stem cell. <laughs> right. So basically, it's a, it's a cell that replaces the uh, damaged or uh, you know burned out cells in our body. And we lose hundreds of billions of cells every day. So uh, if you're alive, uh, what that really means is then you are replacing all these damaged, burned-out cells with new cells. And I say yes, and the source of those replacement cells are the stem cells. So, boom, I'm working with stem cells, embryonic cells from a, uh, from a person. And I put these stem cells in a, in a Petri dish, uh, just one stem cell. 
and it divides about every, <clears throat> every 10, 12 hours. And the significance is after a couple of weeks, I got thousands of cells in the Petri dish, and then uh, the experiment begins. And here's what the experiment is. Remember, when I started with one stem cell, all the cells that end up in the Petri dish are by definition genetically identical because they came from the same one parent. So I have thousands of genetically identical cells. I grab a handful of those cells, pull them out of the Petri dish, and put them into another Petri dish with a different environment culture medium. Cells are like fish. They live like in an aquarium, so I have to provide like that aquarium environment. Uh, so I create uh, a, a, a culture medium with, with components uh, uh, necessary for cells to live. And I put some of these stem cells in this dish A with what I call culture medium A, which has some constituents in it. The cells form bone. And I go, okay, now go back to the original dish where these cells came from, grab more of those cells, put them in a second Petri dish with a different environment, let's call it environment B, and the cells form bone. Uh, and the third dish, uh, again, take more cells from the same dish, put them into a third environment, uh, C, and in this environment, the cells form fat cells. So in one dish, I get muscle, one dish, I get bone, and one dish, I get fat cells. And the, But here comes the profound question. What controls the fate of the cells? And then you start with this. They were all genetically identical when I started. So the first thing is this. Genes did not control the fate of the cell. What controlled the fate of the cell was the response to the environment. And then as I started to pursue this work, I tried to say, well, what, you know, what is it that reads the environment? Uh, and, and, and then passes that information on to the genes. And it turned out it's the skin of the cell, the cell membrane. And what it does is it reads environmental signals from the world outside and then relays this information inside the cell and controls the, the functions of the cell, like respiration, digestion, movement, excretion, whatever the cell is doing. Uh, right. and, and, and so I say, well, how does it do it? And I say, well, on the surface of the skin of the cell are receptors. And I go, the just to make it simple for people, a cell and a human are basically the same. The functions in your human body, respiration, digestion, reproduction, endocrine, whatever, uh, all those functions are present in almost every, of the, uh, every one of the 50 trillion cells in your body. A single cell has all the functions essentially the human has, and, I mean, because that's where we got our functions from, because we're made out of cells. So, uh, so a cell is like a miniature human, I say, the skin of the cell is the brain of the cell, and it turns out the skin of the human is the brain is derived uh, is the source of the brain of the human. That through embryology, it's the skin. And the I'm going to have to ask you to hold that one, Doc Lipton. We will pick that up. Oh, after. We've got a hard break coming I'm up here. I'm sorry. About that. And that, no, that's great, and that's a very important point that you're making right there. So we'll come back to the skin as the brain. Uh, after this break, we're speaking with Dr. Bruce Lipton about his book, The Biology Books, The Biology of Belief and Spontaneous Evolution. If you're not already in our chat room, this is a great time to join in the conversation. We have a video to share with you today of our guest, so go to eldentaylor.com forward slash chat. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss what's coming up after these words from some of our friends. Eldon's international best-selling book, Mind Programming, is a must-read if you wish to live awake in a world of sheeples. Film producer Jeff Warwick had this to say about mind programming. 
Dr. Eldon Taylor's new book is a must-read. If you've ever questioned your purpose in life or felt bound by a culture that's driven by mass media, you now have at your fingertips the knowledge and tools to break the chains of this cycle. Eldon goes in-depth to illustrate and expose how we've been programmed from birth by social constraints, and he methodically reveals the psychological techniques that advertisers, politicians, corporations, and the media use to control us. He then provides strategies and solutions to free your mind from these tactics and rise to a new level of consciousness. As you read this book, you'll feel the blinders being removed and will truly see the world in an entirely new light. Get your copy today online or at fine bookstores everywhere. Every day, every moment, we face choices. Yet, how many of those choices are truly our own? Are you ready to step onto the path of discovery? Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestseller, Choices and Illusions. Now revised, updated, and expanded. Eldon combines provocative information, scientific research, and his own life's journey into a powerful message that we have the power to change. All we must do is be willing to choose to take the chance and change. Get your copy today from all bookstores. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. And welcome back. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Dr. Bruce Lipton about the new biology. But before we get back to today's show, I want to remind you to like our Facebook fan page for Provocative Enlightenment Radio. As a fan, you'll always know where we are and what's on next. I would also like to invite you to join me on Facebook while you're there. All right, we were at Cell Membrane. And, well, Cell Membrane, we were at uh, the skin is the brain or the um, of, of the human being as well as the cell. Pick it up from there and continue, please. Okay, so, and then, so very basically, the cell and the human work in the same way. The, our skin has receptors, eyes, ears, nose, taste, touch, and through them, information from the environment comes in, and then we adjust our biology to, to survive and, and harmonize with that environment. Cells do exactly the same thing, but here's what, what blew my mind was, I also recognize that no two people are biologically the same uh, in the sense that if I put my cells into your body, Eldon, your immune system will say not self and reject it. And if right. you put your cells into somebody else's body, their immune system will say not self and reject it. So the first thing that we recognize is cells have identity. Our, our own cells in our body express an identity that is different from cells in other people's bodies. So no two bodies have the same identity. I say, well, where does this identity come from? The answer is uh, there's a set of receptors like little antennas on the surface of the cell uh, that uh, science has studied a group of them and actually given them the name self-receptors, self-receptors, which mean receivers of self. Well, what's interesting is no two people have the same exact set of these receptors, maybe a hundred or more of them. It's like a combination lock. And no two people have the same set of receptors. And these receptors are what distinguish self. By a simple study, what you can do is if you remove those identity receptors off the surface of the cell, the cell, by definition, is generic. It can be transplanted into anybody and never rejected. So when you take off your personal identity receptors, the cell loses its identity. Uh, and what you could do is if you took someone else's receptors and put it on, uh, after removing yours and put them on your cell, 
you would reject that cell if you put it in your own body, but the person who donated the receptors, if you put that cell in their body, they'll accept it. So the identity of a cell is linked to these receptors that are a unique set on each person's cells. And you go, well, okay, that's really cool. Uh, there's this physical thing that makes the identity. And I go, no, no, these are called receptors. <laughs> they receive an environmental signal. And all of a sudden, I, when I started to recognize it, I said, oh, my gosh, the identity of Eldon or Bruce or anyone in the audience is directly connected to a set of antennas on the surface of their cell that receives a unique environmental signal. And, and when I started to recognize it, I said, well, wait a minute, then my identity of who I am is not built into my cells. My identity is picked up like a, a broadcast signal and received by my cells. And, and, and the moment I, I, I got this in my head, it's like my mind just got blown because it basically said, wait, then my identity not being a part of my cell means that if my cell died, I didn't lose my identity. It, it's still there in the environment. So uh, right. in a simple way of looking at it, consider a body like a television set and that each of us uh, has a set of antennas receiving a broadcast, so I'm playing the Bruce show right now. And the significance about that is if uh, we were watching a TV and, let's say, the picture tube breaks on the TV, we say the television's dead. I go, yeah, really, I understand that. It doesn't work anymore. But then the most important question is, the television died, but did the broadcast die? And the answer is, no, the broadcast didn't die. It's still there. And how would you know? And the answer is, well, you get another TV and plug it in, turn it on, and then tune it to that station, and the show is back on air. And I go, oh, my God. The significance of all this was that our identities are some signal from the environment that are picked up by our cells, and our cells communicate back and forth with that antenna system. The relevance about all that is that our personal identity is something that's not physically part of our cells, but physically part of the environment. If your cells die, if you die, your, your, in your identity is still in the environment. And you say, well, how would you know? And I say, well, one possibility is, what if another embryo showed up with the exact same set of these receptors on it that you have right now? And the answer is, well, oh, well, then you'd be received again by another uh, human being, a, a different body. It doesn't have to be male. It could be female. It doesn't have to be white. It could be black. That's, not, that's just the television set. And when I thought about this, oh, my God, we're mortal. <laughs> we're not even built into, the, into this. The, we, we live and exist as, a, as like a, the equivalent of a broadcast in the environment. And when a body has the right tuning, then our information is downloaded in that body, and then we manifest a physical experience. Well, uh, the most uh, exciting part after the moment of, oh, my God, I'm immortal, we can't die because... By definition, our identity is not even built into the system. Uh, but what I, uh, you know, I started to question this because I was a, I'm not spiritualist, and what am I recognizing? Well, whatever that identity is, it's in the field, uh, and, and by definition, it's the equivalent of spirit. Uh, and so I, I was like stuck for this moment of first elated by the fact that a I was going to be immortal, and b I said, but but wait wait, why have a spirit? this energy body, whatever it is, uh, and a physical body. Why not just be a spirit? 
And it's funny because uh, the answer welled up from the cells comprising my body. I could almost feel it coming up from all the 50 trillion cells in my body and pops into my head. And the answer, interestingly enough, is in the form of a question. I ask, why, why have a spirit and a body? And the, the answer that came up from my body was, if you're just a spirit, Bruce, what does chocolate taste like? And all of a sudden it hit me, and I said, oh, my God. The physical body is a device that converts our experiences via the nervous system and from whatever we see, hear, smell, touch, or feel, or experience. The nervous system turns it into uh, an energy vibration in the brain, which is broadcast back to our source, so that the body is an enhancement of the spirit, because using the body... It's like a virtual reality machine that I, I can uh, be here on this planet and have experiences that are translated by the body and sent back to my source. Well, that's the concept of karma and reincarnation and all that kind of stuff. And then you go, okay, man, you're really stepping outside the box, Bruce. And I go, well, wait, wait. There are now so many cases of heart and lung transplants that people have received that accompanying these cases, they found a very common characteristic of all the recipients of these organs, and that is they begin to take on the character of the people who donated the organ, even though these people are supposedly dead. To this extent, uh, this is the one story that is like mind-boggling. A young girl received a heart from uh, 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 another girl that obviously was dead. And once she had this heart implanted, shortly after the implantation, this girl every night was racked by these really violent nightmares of being killed. So at some point, uh, the, the, the doctors said, well, let's go back. And, and they found out that the girl who donated the heart was, was murdered. Well, after that, the significance is that this girl had the same nightmare over and over and over again. It was so vivid that when she described the details to the police, the police were able to apprehend the killer of that girl. And you go, oh, wow, how the heck does that happen? And you go, say, some people say, cellular memory. And, I mean, it's been invoked a lot, but as a cellular biologist, I have to tell you that the memory capacity of a cell is not that great. It, it memorizes it's a stomach cell or a brain cell and does its function. That's quite a lot. So, really, it's not the memory of the cell. Then how did this information show up in this recipient of the heart? And the answer was, because the original heart still has the self-receptors attached to that individual who is now dead. But the broadcast in the field is still being received by the heart. And the heart being such a powerful electromagnetic force in the system really amplifies what it receives. And that's why, even though the, the other person is dead, the recipient of the heart is still connected to their identity, which is part of the field. And when you put all these pieces together, it's like, wow, uh, there's, I was not spiritual. Now I'm left with really just the mechanics of the system saying, well, whatever my identity is, it's not part of my cell. It comes from the environment. And when you put all the pieces together, it makes all the history of the concept of, of spirit and influences and all that stuff and reincarnation and karma, all of that becomes, wow, that seems to be pretty scientifically grounded at this point. And it really profoundly changed my whole life because it basically when I started to 
to recognize the duality of my, my energy, spiritual existence being part of the field, and the fact that I have this physical body and its connection to the biology of belief, all of a sudden I realized that, oh my goodness, um, this is such a unique opportunity for a spirit, because when it steps into the body, not only does it have experiences of all the sensory reception that we have, but it also has an opportunity to create a life on this planet. And when I thought about it, I said, oh, my God, here's people. The people are saying, oh, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And all of a sudden, what I started to realize from my own science was, wait a minute. It, when you're on Earth, that's where you come to create and manifest whatever you could imagine. That's what heaven is. Being on this planet is the, is the opportunity to to manifest a reality and, 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 and gather all those wonderful experiences that, that we have opportunities to have on this planet. It's when you're dead that this body then disappears, but you're still left with the awareness. It's when that awareness then comes back in body via the self-receptors that we then have this earthly experience. So um, I have profoundly changed my perception of life here and have come to fully own the fact for myself that that this is indeed heaven. Uh, and then people say, yeah, but if this was heaven, I sure as hell wouldn't have created this mess. And that's where your work, Eldon, and my work start to dovetail in this regard, because it says, then, if this is heaven, how come some of our lives don't appear to be like that? How come we have so much trouble and difficulty? And that's where the biology of belief and, and your work come to the resolution that says, we are indeed creating, but are we creating with our particular wishes and desires, or are we creating with programs, beliefs that were really downloaded into us uh, by other people, not ourselves? So uh, in that case, then our lives are not reflecting what we want, but more or less the programs that we have received from others. You know, and also, I, I mean, I, I love that story. I think w- what you just went through is probably, uh, that is the most important uh, uh, thing that I could possibly have gotten you to communicate in the short period of time we have, uh, you know, in this one hour, because I, well, implicit in all of that is the realization. I mean, you, you must have, I mean, this must have been a true epiphany for you, you know, a Blew landmark kind of event. <laughs> so, and and, and it, it, it should be for all of us as we listen to that, because what we begin to realize is that, you know, uh, the architecture of the environment that we live in is is not directed by uh, the world as we think of it. It is directed by um, the transmission itself. You know, but also implicit in that, Bruce and I, and and I, I have to ask this one: when this heart transplant you're talking about gave rise to these dreams, what you really, I mean. What's presupposed in that is that the brain itself is receiving the information from an organ, not not from a memory, uh, that this organ must somehow be still downloading from its source. In, in your analogy, the television set or this part of the television set is still downloading a signal from the station which is different than the rest of the set. And, and, and that I find very interesting. Yeah, it, it's very exciting because it said, by definition, then the cells making this person 
represent a composite of two individuals, not just one. Normally, this is why uh, we normally, uh, the immune system will reject any foreign tissues or cells that come in for a very simple reason, and that is they're not, uh, you know, following the beat of the same drummer. They're, they're responding to somebody totally different. So it, it could cause a disruption in the community if a bunch of cells are, are following someone else's, uh, you know, uh, uh, spiritual uh, uh, directions uh, uh, versus what you want in your cells. So the immune system, definitely what it does is says, look, if these cells are not part of the community, then we must get rid of them. Now, when it comes to this heart transplant, uh, the significance of, uh, A, how did, how did they keep this heart transplant in that that girl's body because her immune system, by definition, would say, no, this, this heart doesn't belong to me. Uh, it's done uh, therapeutically by actually putting stress hormones into the recipient uh, 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 of this heart. And the reason why the stress hormones, which is another story into itself and very powerful, is that stress hormones uh, inhibit the function of the immune system. So when you want to transplant an organ into somebody, you don't want their immune system full active because it will, by definition, eliminate the transplant. So you give them stress hormones that inhibits the immune system. And for an an unusual and, of course, uh, contrived situation, this body then uh, has uh, two different kinds of cells in it. uh, And the heart, because it's such a, a powerful electromagnetic field generator, uh, uh, will take whatever information it's receiving and amplify it more than other cells will. Uh, and so that uh, it becomes a major uh, contribution to the collective vibration that an individual represents. So that individual, by definition, is a, a chimera, meaning a composite of two individuals at the same time. And again, you know, I'm going to come back and say that uh, the implications that... Uh, are, to me, incredible. I mean, what you're really saying is that consciousness arises from the signal, not from the body. Uh, Let me ask you this. Now, Ernest Rossi in a journal article suggested that we can trigger a DNA event through what he termed novelty numinosa neurogenesis. Dr. Rossi's view held that memory was the key, and it reminded me of a paper I did once for a presentation in Israel and later wrote about referring to it as memory-dependent wellness. So my question, Dr. Lipton, do you think we can heal ourselves by simply fully remembering, revivifying wellness? Uh, absolutely, uh, because what we're, the simple conclusion is this. The cells are not controlled from the chemistry within. They're making a response to the signals from the environment. Now, in my Petri dish, the signals from the environment are what signals I create in the culture medium. But <clears throat> when it comes to the human body, and this is always fun for me to, to elaborate upon, because basically uh, uh, when we see ourselves in the mirror as a single entity, that's a total misperception. In truth, we are comprised of 50 trillion cells. The cells are the living entities, M- me, you, Eldon, anybody out there on the line, when I say me, by definition, you're actually uh, referring to uh, a community of 50 trillion cells. So, uh, joke, uh, the human body is a skin-covered Petri dish with, uh, with culture medium. And I say, does it make a difference whether the cell is in a plastic dish or a skin dish in regard to what influences its fate? And I go, absolutely not. I say, so what influences the fate of the cells in the plastic dish, the culture medium? I go, yes. And in the skin-covered human Petri dish, what influences the fate of the cells? I say, the culture medium. 
but we call it blood. And then I go, okay, okay, now what controls the composition of that blood? Because, as I showed, when you change the composition of culture medium, you change the fate of the cells. I go, yes, that's true. And I say, okay, the blood culture medium, what controls it? And this is, again, where our work comes and dovetails, is that it's the secretions from the brain that, that create the composition of the blood, which in turn controls the fate of the cells. So then I say, yeah, but what determines what chemistry is released from the brain? So I go very simply, I say, if you sit there with your eyes closed and then open them up and see someone you love in front of you, you will release chemistry in the blood called oxytocin, dopamine, uh, vasopressin, growth hormone. I say, what, what do those chemicals do when they're put in the culture medium? I say, if I take those chemicals and put them in a plastic dish of cells, the cells grow beautifully in that medium. I go, cool. So then if I release that from my brain into my culture medium called blood, then it should affect health and happiness in my cells. I go, yes. And I say, but what happens if you open your eyes and you see something that scares you? I go, oh you start to release different chemicals. You start to release uh, stress hormones such as cortisol, inflammatory agents such as histamine, uh, cytokines, which are immune hormones. And I say, well, yeah, but what if I took those chemicals released when a person is uh, uh, living in fear and put those in a Petri dish, and here's the fact, it causes the cells to stop growing and they start dying. Uh, and what it really reveals is, my God, what? It's, well... Your culture medium is controlling the fate of your cells, but when you open your eyes and you have a vision or a perception, it's translated by the brain into the secretions of neurohormones, neuropeptides, that when they're put into the blood, the culture medium control the fate of the cells. And that's why a different perception changes the chemistry of the body. When you change your belief, when you change the way you look at the world, you change the chemistry of your body. So, for example... Uh, Dean Ornish, a, a wonderful physician in the San Francisco yeah. area, did some research where he took uh, uh, patients, uh, prostate cancer patients. He said, look, give me 90 days. And during this 90 days, no drug treatment, uh, no conventional uh, cancer therapy. For 90 days, we're going to do just a couple things here. We're going to change your, your perceptions, your beliefs about life, influence them, change uh, your response to stress, give you meditation techniques, change your diet. In 90 days, 500 genes completely changed their function. And, and many of the genes that were responsible for the cancer uh, actually were turned off. And you say, well, how did that happen? No drugs, no chemistries. No, no, it's the way you respond to the environment. If you respond in a healthy, holistic, harmonious way with the environment, then by definition your cells will complement that environment. But if you are not living in a healthy environment, and, and I hear a point, whether it's a skin dish or a plastic dish, again, it doesn't make any difference. If I take my plastic dish of cells and take it from a good environment to a bad environment, the cells immediately start to get sick and die. And you might say, well, geez, your cells are sick. You should give them some medicine. And I go, absolutely not. To make the cells well, you just move the dish back from the bad environment, put it back in the good environment, and they instantaneously get well. It's significant. The fate of a cell is a complement to our perception of the environment. I love how you explain these things. You can take the most complicated <laughs> uh, question, put it in the hands of somebody that truly <laughs> understands a subject, and they will give you an explanation that makes perfect sense to the layest of all of us. 
Dr. Lipton, tell our audience in about 30 seconds how they can learn more about you, uh, obtain your books, The Biology of Belief, The Spontaneous Evolution, learn where you're speaking, uh, upcoming events, and so forth. Thank you, Eldon. It's uh, so simple. It's brucelipton.com. And on there, there are lots of articles about things that we talked about that you can download for free and just get all this available information. Uh, and also, as you said, uh, sources of books and, and uh, places where I will have the delightful opportunity of talking to people and giving them the, the, the message of re-empowerment that they are profound creators uh, if we can get that subconscious mind out of the way. <laughs> We'll get it at least on on the same team. So, you know, instead of pulling against you, it's pulling with you. And that's your uh, magnificent it, contribution, in which I so appreciate, Elvin. Well, thank you, sir. I, I very much appreciate you being with us today, Dr. Lipton. And we've come to the end of another hour of provocative enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us. And I hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week, same time and same place. In the meantime, wherever you are in the world, remember... Believing in yourself always 